You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Our great God, we do praise you and give you thanks for all things come from you. And we're grateful this morning as we get to look to your word and ask that your spirit would Use this time as we uh, hear from you to move our hearts. Lord, we'd ask that your spirit would uh, show us things we need to know and learn, show us ways to go and to live, and we pray that your spirit would help us to not only hear but obey. We look to you for these things, asking it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'm Ed Satterfield, one of the pastors here, and glad to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Um, Corey's going to be away for the next month or so. He'll be back in early August, so be praying for him to have a good, rejuvenating, refreshing break. But we're looking forward to continuing our uh, sermon series, Taste and See, which is really an invitation to understand and experience God as the one who wants to nourish us. We're studying the use of food and drink metaphors and uh, descriptions throughout the Bible, uh, kind of from start to finish as a part of the focus for this series so that we might understand and not only um, hear, but really experience how much God wants to um, nourish us. Like a tasty meal that refreshes and delights us, uh, God's desire is that we would not only know him, but really enjoy him. So this morning, we're going to read the story of God giving manna and quail to the people of Israel. And uh, we're going to hear the um, scripture read by Speaker Pollard. So let's hear as we... uh, Read this passage from Exodus 16. This is a reading of Exodus 16, verses 1 through 18. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they have come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. We, Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. 
When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the ones who had gathered much did not have too much. And the ones who had gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage describes the people of Israel in a place where they really looked and didn't know how God would take care of them, how he would provide. They had lots of questions, um, and we're going to explore that a little bit today. 2002 was one of the most challenging years of my life. I faced really three different uh, pretty tough situations in my own experience, and I could not see how God would provide um, what I longed for and what I needed. My marriage was breaking up. That was number one. I resigned a pastoral relationship with a church I'd served for 17 years and was without a job and didn't really know where I was going to go or what I was going to do. And the last of those three was my dad was dying. He had prostate cancer and uh, the cancer had gone to the bone and he was not going to be taking any additional treatments. So we knew he was, had a short period of time to live. Perhaps you've been facing something similar in terms of a, a, a degree of difficulty with uncertainty about how the future might play out and how God might meet you in those places and how he might provide the things that you long for and the things that you need. If you're not facing that situation now, uh, wait a few years, you probably will. Uh, it's certainly part of life that we are facing the, the, the um, difficulties and problems that uh, come our way uh, for many different reasons. We want to look at this passage to see how it helps us deal with being in that position of having trouble, having difficulty, having issues where we don't know how it's going to work out and how God might provide and meet us in those places. This morning, as we think about God's provision, uh, may he work in our hearts that we might be uh, moved to a deeper place of trusting him. The first thing this passage helps us see is that um, to deal with our needs is by showing us that grumbling is a bad strategy. Did you notice how many times uh, grumbling was mentioned in the passage? It's eight times, over and over and over again. And the repetition uh, verbally is intended to have that, make that audible impression on us that something's really important about this particular feature of their uh, strategy for dealing with the situation. Um, if you're like me, it's a pretty big surprise to find that it, he's making a big deal out of it, okay? You know, isn't grumbling just complaining? I mean, that doesn't seem like that's big, that big a deal, right? Um, but let's be clear, uh, grumbling is not just something that's just a bad thing in itself. It has a foundation of real concerns and questions. In this passage, Israel is about a month out of Egypt, and they've kind of turned the corner of the tip of um, the, mount, uh, the, the peninsula of Sinai, and they're about to go down south into the wilderness. Month of all their provisions is probably wearing out. Uh, probably what they brought with them 
is not uh, gonna last. And they're looking ahead and they're, what are they seeing? Desert. They see rocks. They see pretty barren uh, landscape. And you don't see a lot of food provision. So they're concerns are really uh, based on something real and true. So we don't want to impugn the the problem or the issue that they're facing. Um, They had real needs. But the problem with grumbling is not the need being addressed, but the strategy in addressing it. Grumbling is misdirected energy. Verse 2 says, the whole congregation grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And then... uh, 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 Verse 9 says, your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. So the people have a need for food. A legitimate concern is being raised, but their strategy is the problem, and it brings significant consequences to their lives, both personally, also in terms of how they deal with leadership, and then lastly, uh, it's significant in what it does to their relationship with God. Personally, grumbling brings about a great deal of discouragement. We just sit sit and soak in our uh, problem and it begins to be more and more overwhelming. It becomes discouraging. We get depressed. When we keep on focusing on the things that we're angry about, we can end up wallowing in it and it can end up eating us up. We can sit with our disappointments and be depressed and let them uh, overwhelm us. Above all, bad strategy never really seeks the one who is able to do something about it. Um, It's complaining to one another, all in the same boat. Complaining to leaders, again, all in the same boat. Um, But it never really addresses the problem. And it really compounds. And what we see in the passage is that it leads them to kind of irrational thinking, where uh, in verse 3, they no longer see their lives accurately. They begin to say, it was really that great time and we, that we had in Egypt. You know, we kind of wish we were back there. We had lots of food, you know, pots of meat and lots of bread. Uh, what's happened is that they've rewritten their history. And now slavery has become the good life. They've forgotten what it was to be delivered from that awful uh, oppression that they'd been experiencing and had cried out to God to deliver them. Grumbling can be not only personally... Um, debilitating and lead us into some uh, insanity, Uh, but it can be devastating in our relationships with leaders. We end up blaming them, impugning their motives, and expecting them to solve problems that are outside their control, just like the problem is outside ours. Verse 3, they actually think that Moses and Aaron led them out of uh, Egypt so that they could kill them in the desert. That's their thinking. Really broken down relationships, grumbling generates distrust. But most of all, grumbling is a bad strategy because it never deals directly with the key problem we have, which is an issue of trust with God. People of Israel do not take their complaint to the Lord. They just complain to Moses and Aaron. It's an age-old problem. Going back to the beginning in Genesis, we really understand that grumbling is a, a part of the root of what was going on with Adam and Eve. God had supplied abundantly um, and had provided everything that they needed. And yet, um, Adam and Eve, as they begin to survey the situation, aided by Satan, uh, begin to see, um, entertain some questions about whether they can trust God's provision as abundant and full as it was. They entertain the question, is God depriving me from that which is good and beautiful? 
beautiful fruit that they see? Is he withholding from us that which truly brings life and growth? They entertain that question and continue to move in a direction to act on it, and the consequence is devastating. The Apostle Paul uses this passage in Exodus in 1 Corinthians 10 to talk about uh, three different aspects of uh, how certain key problems really cause a serious issue in our spiritual life and development. He names three big sins. The first is idolatry. The second is immorality. And guess what the third is? Grumbling. Again, stunning surprise. What in the world's going on here? How can you put grumbling, it's just complaining, right, with immorality and idolatry? And yet he does. Um, He describes grumbling as putting God to the test. And what he means there is that grumbling tends to, tries to live contrary to the way that God made us and designed us and uh, test the veracity or the truthfulness of what God says is the way to life and the way for real provision for the things that we need. And the consequences of that um, are the result of the test. So grumbling is a bad strategy because at its root, it's uh, distrust toward God. This distrust towards his care and his provision. And by consequence, it's a distrust in the leaders that he's put to represent his people. It never really addresses the deep need that we really long for, what we fear and what we really need. These are matters that only God can provide. So first, grumbling is a bad strategy. Second, this passage teaches us that God provides exactly what is needed. And this is the amazing good news for this morning, is that in the midst of their grumbling, their absence of speaking to God, what does God do? He hears everything they're saying. He hears exactly what they're saying, and he provides precisely what they ask for. They ask for meat, they ask for bread, and he gives them meat and bread. But as God provides that, he does it in unexpected ways, and that's a characteristic for our experience of God, is that he doesn't always meet the things that we long for in the ways that we expect them to be met. Manna is provided. Its very name makes the point that it's sort of an outside-the-box provision. Um, Manna means, what is it? And we could say that's what we do with a lot of the things God does to provide for us. We say, what's that? That isn't what I asked for. That's not what I thought I needed. Um, But that's, it's unlike any other food. It's um, usually most foods last at least a few days uh, and don't perish immediately, but this is different. It perishes after uh, part of the day. Um, It forces them to a place where um, it presents the unexpected nature of the provision that God gives them. He's providing exactly what is needed, but he's really aiming to give us what we truly need and what we truly long for. The daily nature of manna is teaching God's people to trust in him daily, as Jesus teaches us to ask in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. This passage was in Jesus' mind when he wrote that prayer and when he gave it to his disciples. Praying for daily bread, living with manna means that we have to, um, we can't just sort of assume that things are now taken care of, that God answered our prayer and that we never have to worry about it again. 
It's that daily regular sense that we are dependent upon God for our very meals, for our very lives. Um, and we insulate ourselves a ton from this, uh, but it's really what their experience was in the desert in those days. They had to depend that God would actually bring the same thing he did yesterday again today, a new miracle every single day. That he'd bring quail uh, just as he'd predicted every uh, twilight and bring that uh, to provide for them. It's unexpected and different than, that, than they'd expected. God's provision never gave people the security that they could just sort of settle in and know that things were taken care of. It forces us to a place of daily dependence, daily expectancy for God to bring what is needed. And there's a great mystery in terms of how God provides um, in this mix between hearing our expressed needs, hearing our longings, hearing the things that we tell him we need, and at the same time, his long-term work uh, for doing what is really needed in our lives, which is to build deep, regular, daily bread kind of trust in him. He uses the, the moment of our night and our need, the situation of our, uh, of our expectancy to build trust in us, to have us uh, pushed to look to him for our needs to be met, for him to provide what is needed. You know, overall, uh, healing in our relationship with God is that which brings healing to the rest of our uh, needs and lives. Reconciling us to himself is really the source of all other relationships being made right. God's work to build trust is at the core of what we truly deeply need that filters out to all the other needs that we have. There's a second aspect that this passage really suggests to us about the unusual nature of God giving us what we really need, providing exactly what we need, and that is that he is really purposing to reveal his glory. God not only teaches them to trust in the tangible meals that they need to be nourished by God, but when Aaron speaks to the congregation and tells them that God has heard them, the people look and the glory of God appears. And I don't know if you've caught that, but the, the real message of this text is that uh, God's cloud was there all the time, but somehow it moved. Somehow it became more uh, attention gathering. Somehow God made himself more visible and more present to them uh, so that um, the purpose that he had behind that was that they would know him and that they would see his glory. Um, and the Lord tells um, Moses, to speak to the people in verse 12, he tells them that God will provide food for them, uh, but that he's doing this so that they'll know that Yahweh is God, so that they will see his glory. The connection here made between uh, the physical needs that we have and those deep-seated needs for nourishment by God alone um, really can't be uh, missed. And it reminds us of Jesus' words when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He longed for bread and was being tempted to miraculously provide bread for himself out of stones, but what does he do? He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We always need more than we recognize, more than we grumble about. We're made to know, trust, and love God. It's the deepest need that we have to be nourished by him. It's really the purpose that God led Israel out into the desert. Do you remember what the story was uh, when Moses was before Pharaoh? 
He'd say, let my people go. 10 times he went and pressed the, the issue. And the purpose for letting his people go was so that they would go out into the wilderness to worship their God. God's purpose for us is to come to see him and know him in a way that is new and fresh and uh, comprehending his goodness, his mercy. Uh, he wants us to see his glory. And glory means seeing God's worth, seeing his value, seeing his substance and his depth and richness, to see his beauty, his greatness, his amazing love and faithfulness. That's why God created us, uh, so that we would go uh, into this world and worship God and see him in all of his glory. Back to my tough year in 2002. Uh, God did not give me everything that I longed for that year, but he provided what I needed. My marriage didn't get repaired. My dad did not improve and lived only a few short months. Um, God did lead me to uh, work that was um, uh, helped pay the bills and uh, was meaningful to me. Uh, and he also enabled me to be able to come to Richmond uh, every other weekend, uh, which is not something pastors get to do a lot, um, but you can when you're not working. <laughs> uh, so I was able to come and be with my dad, and that was a critical time just for being able to engage with him and engage with the loss that we were all uh, entering into. And secondly, uh, being able to be with uh, my family in a way that gave me great encouragement and support. But most importantly, God met me in fresh ways to show me his presence and his uh, constant faithfulness to me, to help me to know and trust him in deeper and deeper ways. And uh, as tough as a year that was, it was a great, I'm grateful for that year uh, as it did something to deepen me in my life with the Lord. God does provide, and he does so in precise, loving, and tangible ways. And he does so so that the deepest needs of our lives get met. This passage lastly urges us, uh, in contrast to the bad strategy of grumbling, uh, to have a good strategy um, which is to wait for God's uh, wait in faith for God's faithful provision. Waiting in faith involves action. Uh, faith is not something that's just something uh, circulating in our heads. It's something we do. It's something that we uh, act on. And so, uh, waiting faithfully for God means that we'll ask questions regularly, like this: How can I encourage my heart to look to God for the things that I'm fearing right now? for the things that I don't know uh, the answer to, for ways that my life is uncertain and I uh, don't know how it'll turn out? How can I turn the tendency to grumble into proper energy that really engages God in dealing directly with him? If grumbling is the wrong direction to take, uh, what we've talked about a lot here at Third is to practice uh, a good strategy, which is lament. And let's talk about the difference. Grumbling, again, is coming from a place of fear, a place of distrust, and it bases its reality on the conclusions that we make independent of our relationship with God or even a conversation with him. And often those are just grossly inaccurate uh, conclusions. Grumbling doesn't address the core issue of our uh, issue of distrust with God. Uh, instead of speaking to him, we complain to others or just to air it to ourselves we stop short of speaking directly to God and looking to him, the one who is able to really address the deepest issues of our lives. 
In contrast to that, lament comes from a place of trust, a, a place of um, looking to God in the midst of uncertainty, fear, and doubt. We speak directly to and are honest with God. Uh, we pour out our emotions to Him. So we pour out our disappointments. We pour out our fears. We pour out our anger to Him. We pour out our doubts. We pour out our disappointments and our longings to Him. And we keep on doing it as long as we feel them. So we may do it and then to do it again in two hours or the next day and the next day. And lament is uh, replete throughout the Psalms. And we've said this before, use the Psalms uh, as a guide to you. Sometimes we don't know how to express what we're feeling. Uh, we just feel some, some sort of vague fear and anxiety. And the Psalms really do help us to begin to pour out our uh, emotions to the Lord and do quite a good job leading us in that. But one of the, uh, talk about the pattern that we see in laments, uh, just briefly. Uh, first, they always look back and remember what God has done in the past. That's something that Israel didn't do here in this particular story. They could have uh, seen the continuity with all that God had done before. After all, he just delivered them through 10 immensely miraculous plagues in Egypt and had taken them out and protected them all the way through the Red Sea and had uh, defeated their enemies so that they were now safe and uh, able to move on towards the promised land. Uh, he'd given them direction by the cloud that guided them by day and night. Uh, God's presence right there with them. They could have remembered all those things, which would have helped them to keep looking to God rather than grumbling. So regularly look at God's history with you, how he's met you in the past, how he's been faithful to you, what he's done that has been actually miraculous in terms of provision for what you needed. And then look forward. Look forward to uh, ask other questions like, Lord, how are you going to solve this one? What are you going to do this time? Uh, expectantly looking to God to uh, perhaps look for the different ways. Um, you know, we all have our expectations for how we think our needs should be met. Uh, to have that sense of um, openness to say, God may do something really different. And I don't know what that is, but I'm going to look to him all the while and ask him to help me see it when it comes. So reflect on your own situation this morning. Where are the areas that you're facing where you don't really know how it's going to turn out, how God will actually show up and meet you at the place of your need and provide what is needed? Maybe a relationship that needs healing and restoration. It may be a decision that you have to make. It may be a health issue or a financial issue. One other way to look at it is just to ask yourself, what am I grumbling about these days? Uh, what are the things that are gurgling up from inside of me that uh, show my fears and my anxieties, the concerns that are uh, deep in me? Bring those to the Lord. Each of us uh, this morning are going to come to this table um, where God is meeting us to provide the deep things that we need. And we will look back at what Jesus has done for us to take our sin and our grumbling and our failures on himself and pay our debts so that we are completely uh, having our slate washed clean. And he's also meeting us at this table, uh, having died in our place and risen from, rising from the dead so that we uh, now have God's spirit dwelling in our own hearts to give us power and direction to live the new life, to live it together with him 
And this meal is a communion. It is a time of uh, meeting with him, receiving from him, eating from him, in essence, feeding on him and being nourished with the things that we need that we cannot do for ourselves. So let's come to this table and celebrate uh, the way in which God meets us faithfully to provide exactly what is needed. Let's go to him together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you are our faithful God, that you've shown yourself to be uh, trustworthy, that you are full of beauty and goodness and truth, and yet we acknowledge how often it is that we have a hard time seeing that, remembering it, particularly in the times when we uh, see reality looking very ominous and looming difficult for us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be those who turn from uh, a place of independence to a place of lament, that we would bring our concerns and cast our cares on you, that we would look to you and wait on you until you would meet with us. Lord, use this meal as we come to it now to uh, help us to be feeding on you and receiving from you your provision for the deepest needs in our hearts. We look to you now and offer this time in Jesus' name. Amen.